everyone. It's Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another awesome episode of the podcast because I'm biased that way and why not? I think my podcast is is pretty great. Um, Some of you might agree, some of you might not. I don't care at this point. I'm already hostile towards you. Whatever. Um, That's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, so this is episode 97. Uh, Only a few away from 100, which uh, I've I'm mostly got ready to go. Uh, we'll see. Uh, as I'm recording this, I'll be leaving for Rose City in a few hours, and hopefully we'll have time to record episode 100 uh, while I'm there. Um, if not, it could be slightly delayed, but we're on 97 right now, so we've, we've got some time. I'm, I'm spacing it out. Uh, if you are listening to this on the day, uh, on, on Friday, uh, this day that I am recording, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, September 9th, I believe, yes, uh, I will be moderating the Deconstructing Pretty Deadly panel at Rose City, uh, which will be myself moderating with Kelly Sue DeConnick, the writer of Pretty Deadly, and Emma Rios, the artist of uh, Pretty Deadly. There, uh, we're going to, I'm going to be kind of asking them some questions, and then we'll turn it over to the audience for a little bit, but it's at, uh, I believe, 1045 in the morning. 10.30 or 10.45, I have to, sorry if I don't have the exact details, but it's around that time in the morning on Saturday, and uh, I hopefully will do well at it. Um, I'll see if I can get the recording of it, if they're going to do that, and possibly put that up as a bonus episode or kind of wait a while, either way. But I'm super excited to be doing it because uh, I love Callie Sue uh, so fiercely, respect the hell out of her, and I love Emma Rios' art. Um, I don't know if she does a lot of cons, so it's kind of awesome to to be able to have her at Rose City of all places. So yeah, um, I'll be excited. I'll probably let you know by the next episode how well it went, and if I can get the recording up, I will I will do that. Um, but this episode that you are so diligently listening to, uh, if you've gotten this far into the intro, uh, this uh, episode is Eric Palicki, who is the uh, co-creator and editor of the fully funded Kickstarter, This Nightmare Kills Fascists, which is a comic book anthology of uh, many writers and artists basically kind of channeling the politics of the time, of this current age, uh, day and age, uh, all over the world into uh, an anthology about horror and politics, basically. So that will be coming out eventually, but uh, we talk, we, we in the royal we sense, uh, I talk to Eric Uh, not only about the anthology, but we get into it about uh, just politics in general a little bit, the comic book industry. Uh, We talked about uh, the new Mr. Miracle from uh, uh, Tom King and Mitch Gerard. And uh, yeah, we also talked about the Dresden Files, uh, which I don't talk to a lot of people about. So it was kind of nice to, to meet a fellow fan of the TV show. Yes, I like the TV show. I also read the books. So don't get on me about that. Uh, but yeah, it was great, and uh, you should go and check out uh, Eric's work. Uh, I will link to it in the, the page, as well as his sister, Adrian Palicki, who I didn't, honest to God, I didn't realize that was who his sister was until he brought it up towards the end. But his sister, Adrian Palicki, who is also the co-writer on uh, No Angel, I believe, uh, with him, uh, she's going to be on The Orville, which is the new uh kind of Star Trek adjacent or uh, kind of parody type show from Seth MacFarlane, um, which I'll be honest, looks pretty funny. Uh, I'll check it out, but she's going to be on it as well. 
And yeah, so congrats to, to Adrian. Uh, maybe she'd like to come on the show too sometime. I'm sure we'd have plenty to talk about. Uh, but yes, so uh, that those are those are the promos. Uh, I'll put in the links. But uh, Eric was great to talk to. Really informative. Really, uh, really sweet guy. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening to episode 97 with Eric Palicki. I got one job, two job, three when I need them. I got five roommates in this one studio, but I never really see them. And we all came America trying to get a lap dance from Lady Freedom. But now Lady Liberty is acting like Hillary Banks with a prenup. Banks with a prenup. Man, I was brave, sailing on graves. Don't think I didn't notice those tombstones disguised as waves. I'm no dummy. Here's something funny. You could be an immigrant without risking your lives or crossing these borders with thrifty supplies. All you got to do is see the world with new eyes. Immigrants, we get the job done. All right, I'm not touching anything else. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I was just about to write, like, I can hear you, but I don't know what to do to make you hear me. All right, we can hear each other. Excellent. <laughs> How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I've I've given blood, so I'm, I'm slightly more lightheaded than normal, but I think that might work to our benefit. I don't know. <laughs> I made the mistake of doing that one time and then um, getting really drunk. Mm. <laughs> the, the next day was maybe the worst worst hangover i've ever had oh man no i've i've actually done that too my uh i have a i have a tattoo of two ravens holding a rosary um which i got years ago but it was a three hour straight session to get it all done and after that for some reason we went to a bar i don't know why and it was not a great come down afterwards because like the the adrenaline hit me and and just the rush and I was just like I need to go home guys. Yeah, it was it was the same situation for me as I didn't even think I was drinking that much, mm-hmm. you know, and, but you know when you're a pint low, it's really easy for it to yeah. to catch up to you. Oh man. Yeah, no that that brings like weird memories. Like I remember being very cold after that one. <laughs> it's just it's like I can't get warm enough. Why why don't we have any more blankets in this house? But other than that, how are you doing? I can't complain. Well, I mean, you could. It's fine. Well, yeah, but you don't want to hear that. I mean... <laughs> That's all I do. That's pretty much what this podcast is for half the time, so don't worry about it. I got you covered. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll probably just keep this to, like, a tight hour, and, uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Um, I do you need to get a you know a drink, glass of water, go to the bathroom, anything? I think I'm good. I think I took care of all of that before before I called or before you called. Okay, cool. Excellent. So, already recording, so uh, just for formality's sake, uh, Eric Palicki, uh, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Hello, yeah. hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, yeah, like the, I, I've kind of started doing this where I kind of tell the the origin story of the podcast, but it's it's very straightforward. I mean, uh, you uh, start did a Kickstarter that got fully funded uh, called This Comic Kills Fascists, and I supported it, and then also asked you if you wanted to come on the podcast to talk about it, and here we are now. Yes, yes, yeah, um, <laughs> you know... Uh, you know, being able to do this Nightmare Kills Fascists with, uh, with Matt Miner. That's right, this was... Nightmare, sorry, I, I said this no, comic. Okay. <laughs> it's funny, I wanted to call it 
this machine kills fascists mm. right after the, uh, the, the, the stickers that, um, uh, uh, Woody Guthrie used to famously put on his guitars mm-hmm. and, and Matt said, well, we're doing a horror book, so let's call it this nightmare kills fascists. And it was, okay, that's fine. That's a happy sort of, uh, compromise that we came up with. Yeah, I think that works well. <laughs> So for those who might not know what the, uh, the Kickstarter is or what the anthology is, can you kind of give, uh, uh, I guess, the elevator pitch or the, the, the short story? <laughs> yeah, of course. It is a, uh, it's a collection of short um, horror comics, all done in black and white in that kind of classic EC Comics, creepy, eerie mm-hmm. uh, vibe. Uh, but the, uh, the, 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 uh, the prompt that we gave to our, our creative teams was, let's tell horror stories that in some way reflect the state of world politics in 2017. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, you know, it's a really scary place right now. Yeah, it's it's like they wouldn't be hard-pressed to find inspiration, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was no other sort of, you know, we didn't put any other restrictions on that other than, you know, it being black and white and, and up to 12 pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to recruit a lot of our friends in the industry. Um, you know, I'm really thrilled about some of the, the creative team uh, teams that we were able to assemble. Justin Jordan is, is writing a story for us, Teeny Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, there, the, the list goes on and on, and I don't want to bore people with, you know, just a, a checklist <laughs> of all the names, but... I'll put that in the in the body of the uh, the the article or something. Like here's everyone, right? And then when I start naming people, I inevitably forget somebody. I know, right? Always, it's almost always somebody that like, oh yeah, people are people know that name. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and and I mean, obviously, the inspiration behind the comic is just what happened in, in basically with the from the election of 2016 onwards uh i would assume or was it was it in the works prior to that no that was that was kind of you know i mean, I mean november hit mm-hmm. and i got together with matt who you know if if for those of you who aren't familiar with matt miner's work he is also a very politically minded comics writer you know he's done work like uh, liberator which is you know frames animal liberation as as uh superheroes mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he's done Toe Tag Riot, which is, you know, a very, you know, has that very punk rock political ethos to it. So he and I both said we need to do something. And pretty quickly, uh, given our, our love of, of comics and and horror, you know, this came together and then we just started reaching out to people and, and everyone said yes. Yeah, I, I would imagine it, it mean, because especially when after the election results came in and the panic set in and everything, I think it's, you know, there were a lot of people who were very hard-pressed to find something to do to express themselves. Um, and, and as always, like, with writers and artists, it's like, you know, what what's your tr- what, do you, what what is your trade? So how do you use that to either help people or, you know, um, basically kind of express yourself and just what you're going through at that time? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it was as far as our personal inspiration as as the you know the curators of this this collection that was very, very much on our minds. But you know, I didn't want to just ask you know everyone of the same political mindset, mm-hmm. and 
you know, we have a we have a huge international uh, contingent of creators that have agreed to do some work. You know, uh, Ryan K. Lindsay is is Australian, and um, uh, you know, we have some some creators from Canada and from Asia and and Europe. So it wasn't just this is what's happening in America right this moment, mm-hmm. um, but you know. The entire political climate is is scary. Whether you talk about things like Brexit or or what have you, mm-hmm. no, definitely, yeah. And it's it's always easy, especially as an American, to to very much uh, bubble it up into this one tiny little thing where it's like, no, this is a this is a global issue. Like it's not just um, the the idiot in chief right now. It's it's <laughs> it's so many other things that are contributing to it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was like so well done, you guys, for uh, bringing in like other voices. I mean, yeah, it's it's so easy to kind of be like, okay, let's just focus on America. Like, no, we got to focus on everything. Like, nothing gets left out in this one. Yes. And so, Absolutely. in in terms of the like the horror elements, like, did you? I, I can't imagine there's much restrictions on that, especially if you're trying to like really go for the nightmare aspect, like like the title would suggest. Um, but did you guys like go like, okay, this is all good, but these things are are a little off limits? Like, did you have any restrictions? Uh, we didn't have any restrictions that we that we were outright. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really have much. You know, we were a little fearful that it was going to be, you know. A bunch of anti-Trump revenge fantasies that mm. were going to, to roll in as far as the pitches, but but everybody kind of covered a lot of different bases and used horror in kind of unique ways. Um, and, and in some ways, the, the the political aspect, the political horror aspect, is a little offbeat, or or it takes a backseat to to being a really kind of cool um, and emotional uh, character piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't. You know, it's not just this, while I think that, you know, those, you know, zombies devouring Trump (laughs) revenge fantasies have their place, Mm -hmm. um, this isn't just a collection of those. Yeah. Do you you feel like you you wanted the the writers and artists to challenge themselves a little bit more? Like, was was that what you wanted, you were hoping for at least, not necessarily like guiding them towards that? Yeah, I wasn't guiding them in any way. We didn't really give them that guidance. Mm -hmm. Um... But what was what was coming in was just like like really clever, and I think that part of that is you know just a testament to, to Matt and, and me having some really talented friends mm-hmm. um, who who took it in those directions without having to be directed as such. Yeah, the because I'm not necessarily a huge horror person. Like I I think I'm much more on the I like thrillers because I'm not in a I'm not a, a big like being scared for just the sake of being scared. Like I want to think about it or like. You know, if something can make me scared of, you know, uh, the crack in the wall, you know, for whatever reason, I would rather that versus, oh my god, there's a, you know, brain exploding in your face or something like that. Um, so, I am kind of fascinated by political horror or um, social horror kind of with, like, um, movies like Get Out, um, you know, where, where directors and writers and artists basically are taking kind of more of a, we want to use horror as a tool to, to tell these stories. Um, is, is that, is that kind of where you and Matt were approaching it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, our sensibilities, we both really enjoy horror. Um, but that is such a, you know, that's such a wide umbrella Mm -hmm. and, um, 
for for him, he's he's really into the more you know the more visceral slasher fic, uh, flick type horror. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, like like uh, Silence of the Lambs is more is mm. more my speed. Yeah. You know, if if you're talking about the two ends of that spectrum that we would call horror, <laughs> um, so like I think having those two sensibilities sort of diff- you know that differing sensibility among the editors helped us kind of collect a wide spectrum of stories too so you're like um, we want some Suspiria stuff we want some Night of the Living Dead we want some we, like trying to like grab from all the horror greats basically yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and I mean we definitely you know we do have some zombies we do have some uh, you know cannibal cannibals eating the president stories in there well but, of course why would you not <laughs> but we don't we don't exclusively have those okay and you know and and, and politics takes such a broad spectrum you know mm-hmm. um joe Corallo, who is the uh uh editor at, at uh uh you know he, he works for geeks out and comics mix and, and a couple other sites and is currently running his own kickstarter campaign for another anthology i'm involved in mm-hmm. uh the the mind planned parenthood anthology mm, yeah. um he did a really great story that deals with uh, with fracking you know he did a, a, mm. a, a so i mean it's not just um you know politics as you think of in the most pressing way mm-hmm. right in this moment where you know we're on the precipice of nuclear war and what, what have you. Uh, but, you know, you're, there's lots of other things that you can explore when you say political horror in oh, 2017. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a broad enough scope, not only within the, the political sphere, but also within the horror genre that you can kind of go, like, it's really the world's your oyster here. Like, what what speaks to you and how do you want to use that in, in the horror element, basically? Exactly. Yeah. Did you... I mean, I know that with some anthologies, there's, like, overlap, like, you try to avoid that, or were you trying to go for just the best story possible? Uh, the best story possible. You know, I, I mean, if everyone had turned in the same pitch, <laughs> I think the, the book still would be great, just by virtue of the, the talent involved, you know, and, yeah. and, and the, the level of, of, of trust that I place in these people. Not You know, there's a couple of people that this will be their first... Uh, um, you know, th- their biggest work to date or their first published work, but mm-hmm. most of these people have, have been around the block a few times in terms of their their output. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't at any point worried that, you know, it, it's weird to put on the, the editor hat for the first time, Yeah, but I was not, not at any time, like, worried that, you know, we were going to get, you know, flat storytelling from anyone. Well, so the, I, I didn't know that it was your first time being an editor. What what was that? What has that experience been like for you in terms of like, you know, starting the Kickstarter and then you know now that it's funded and, and getting the product out. Well, working towards the product is always the, the the challenge, and you know this is my this will be my fourth successful Kickstarter, Ooh. but the first time I'm doing something that isn't just. You know, you know, me working with a single artist or mm-hmm. doing, you know, a, a book with just a, a small group of people, and so there's a little bit of a, you know, a cat herding aspect. And, <laughs> you know, instead of having to get, you know, to work with one artist and one colorist and one letterer, I'm working with, you know, 20, 20 writers and twenty artists and a half dozen letterers, and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> you're like here's open. You're just like crossing your fingers the whole time and. <laughs> Right, but again, I think it goes back to the fact that that no one is do, no, no one in the group has done this, you know, is doing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
So, so. everyone's kind of a pro in, in a certain way. So, I mean, you're all professionals to one degree or another as well. So it's not like anyone sitting there going, like, I have no idea what the, what the hell I'm doing right now. Right. You know, hopefully. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just making a lot of assumptions here. Feel free to correct me. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely possible that they've all been faking it this whole time. Which, I mean, all of us are capable of doing. It's, it's the American way. So. <laughs> um, so what were your, your previous Kickstarters? So I, um, I've been doing comics initially independently. Well, I, I had a webcomic that I was doing uh, years and years ago. But I launched my first Kickstarter about six years ago mm-hmm. uh, for a graphic novel called Orphans, which was kind of... Uh, my love letter to to the Warren Ellis comics that I love, mm-hmm. Global Frequency and Planetary, and a couple other things. It's about, um, you know, just what happens to military technology uh, after you know the government spends billions of dollars to develop these cool, you know, weapons of mass destruction and then mothballs them. Mm. But I was told through the lens of these kind of like failed super soldiers. Oh, nice. So. It's kind of like, what if Captain America got fired and had to reinvent himself as Robin Hood? Ooh, wasn't that Nomad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might have been done already, possibly. I don't know. Comics possibly. have been around for a while. <laughs> um, and so then, after was was that your primary in uh, to comics? Was 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 doing the Kickstarter? Or had you written comics prior to the the, fir- the first Kickstarter? That was the first. That was the first comic that I wrote that anybody other than you know. A dozen or so monthly visitors to my website had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I did it through Kickstarter. It was successful. We raised enough to for me to, 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 to give the artist some money and for us to publish the book. Um, and and it's, it, it did well enough that, you know, I was able to put it on Comixology through their, their awesome submit platform. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it's been up there uh, for about four years now. And, and every once in a while, people still pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then after that, I did a, a, uh, I ran two Kickstarters to publish a horror miniseries called Red Angel Dragnet, mm-hmm. which is about a uh, a bookseller who uh, discovers that that supernatural evil really does exist and uh, takes it upon himself to figure out a way to uh to deal with the problem and what he does is he ends up covering himself in tattoos that he found finds in the old books that he sells that are supposed to protect him from demons and eventually he realizes that if they protect him from demons outside of his body that they would also protect him from a demon inside his body so he summons uh, a demon into himself and because of the tattoos it's unable to take possession and instead he's able to sort of use it like a battery and draw on its power to to fight evil Hmm. and the book though is really about all the consequences of of making that supremely stupid decision (laughs) like you do (laughs) like you do it's like who who among us hasn't been in a similar position (laughs) no that sounds actually really really cool man like, I, yeah, I really like, um, I mean, is it more urban fantasy or is it more uh, high fantasy kind of stuff? No, it's, it's, it's urban fantasy. Urban I mean, fantasy. it's, that's kind of my, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, last year I did a book called No Angel at Black Mask and mm-hmm. all of my pitches to them 
before and subsequently have been sort of in that that genre. You know, I'm a, I'm such a, a sucker for Buffy and Supernatural and mm-hmm. the Dresden Files and yeah, things like that where it's, you know, the, the, I guess the urban fantasy. But, you know, Matt Pizzolo over at Black Mask always teases me that that's, you know, that that must mean my audience is, is teenage girls. Which... <laughs> Well, I mean, you can work with what you got. <laughs> no, okay, so uh, I'm going to ask you a Dresden Files question then. Uh, did you watch the TV show? I loved the TV show. Interesting, because I've had very different people, you know, very different um, answers to that question from, from friends of mine who were like, into the book so much where they're like the TV show was the worst thing ever or so okay tell me why you love that show so so the reason that I love the show is because I came upon the character and the world because I discovered the TV show first mm, okay so had it gone the other direction I totally understand mm-hmm. um, I totally understand why people have that feeling because they do change a lot yes they and, do <laughs> But if you're, the show is really well done for what it is. So if if that's your in, mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, I think that, that that makes a big difference. You know, it's it's like I, I was able to enjoy the show and then discover the books, and I understand the differences. But I still think that uh, Paul Blackthorne was a perfect. Harry Dresden. Oh, I loved, like, I mean, I, I came into it a similar way. Like, I watched the show first and then was like, oh, I want to go read these books. I'm, and I'm not kidding. At the time the show came out, I think there were, oh, God, I don't remember how many of the books were actually out, but I bought all of them and subsequently read them over the course of, like, a month and a half or something like that. So, and and after I was finished reading, I looked back at the show and was like, okay, I understand. I get it. I I know. But I have a soft spot for it, regardless. <laughs> and and one of those is is Paul Blackthorne. Like, um, whenever like I I don't know if you do you watch Arrow at all. I do, I do. Okay. I mean, was, I, mean I have not seen the last season. Okay. I usually binge after, and because of my move to Seattle and everything, I have not really been able to uh, to devote that kind of time mm-hmm. to a TV show. No, I can but, I can understand that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but Paul Blackthorne, when I saw that he was cast in that show, I was like, he's the best thing about this for like a a few seasons. I would just kind of wait for Paul Blackthorne to show up and be like, okay, just give me the scene where you're emotional, you're pissed off at Ollie, and and I'm good. I think I'm I'm good for the rest of the season. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, So then what uh, what made you move to Seattle then? Um, I actually, my girlfriend... Uh, took a job out here at the beginning of last summer. Um, she works for the College Success Foundation in Bellevue, mm. and uh, you know it's a it's a great nonprofit. And she's always wanted to do nonprofit work, and it was kind of her 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 dream job. So um, I was finally able to make arrangements with my day job, and also had enough money coming in from the comics uh, that I was finally able to come out around November. So. Finally, the the comics kind of worked with with everything else and and gave you the ability to to come up here. Yes. Nice. Yes, and I love it here. It is pretty. Have you been here your whole life? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, born and raised, uh, not necessarily in Seattle, but uh, Renton, which is about uh, 20 miles south. Is it Nintendo or Wizards of the Coast in Renton? Uh, Wizards of the Coast, I believe. Okay. 
but they kind of, they're all kind of all over the place. Like, there's Renton, and there's also Redmond, uh, which is much more the Microsoft area. <laughs> so, uh, they intermingle at times to the point where, I, like, I say Seattle to a lot of people just to avoid the, uh, well, what the hell is Renton? It's like, ah, okay, here we go. <laughs> Also, that um, you, you shouldn't pronounce the T. We can't afford it anymore. So. Ah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what was uh? So what was your situation? Because I believe you're f- then from Columbus. Is that is that correct? I have been. Uh, well, I'm from Toledo, Ohio. Toledo. Which, okay. Which no one knows where Toledo is uh, <laughs> unless they watched Mash. Um, That's right, Klinger. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Jamie Farr's name is all over everything in Toledo. Seriously. Um, Yes. Oh my God. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I had been in Columbus for the past six years or so mm-hmm. uh, prior to moving out here. And do you feel like there is a difference in, I guess, uh, if you want to call it a, a comics culture in, uh, in you know, Columbus versus what's here in Seattle? Um, so I, I have not had a lot of time to really explore the comics culture in Seattle proper. I mean, I know that there are a lot of great Seattle creators, you know, Ed Brubaker's from here, although mm-hmm. he now lives in LA, um, and there's a lot of, uh, of other creators that are still here, but I haven't really gotten a chance to mingle with, with many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that was really cool about Columbus is that it was kind of a, um, a burgeoning comics hub because we have, the, we had the Columbus College of Art and Design, mm-hmm. which had a, um, uh, a really robust um, comics program mm-hmm. uh, uh, spearheaded by uh, Lauren McCubbin, who is, um, she's an artist herself, has worked with Warren Ellis a few times, is also, uh, does a lot of the uh, design work for uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's books. Oh, she yeah, does yeah. all the back matter for Bitch Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually is the... Uh, the professor of record for the the comics program at CCAD. So we were really starting to grow the the community. Uh, In addition, Ohio State University has one of the largest um, uh, libraries, comics libraries and museums in the country. Is that the, uh, the Billy Ireland? uh, Yes. Yeah. I, so I, I'm an archivist by trade and uh, one of the first, when when I first got my job in Seattle uh, after college, uh, there was a, a, a job opening at the Billy Ireland uh, facility, but I was only, like, I was barely into my first year as an archivist, and I was like, there's no way I can apply for this, but I want to so bad. <laughs> like, please let me work there. Yeah, it is an amazing, amazing place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you know, Seattle is right down the road from Portland, which is, yep. you know, if there is, if there is a, a mecca... <laughs> yeah, the West Coast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll be going down there actually fairly soon for Rose City. Are you, are you going to be going to that? Possibly. I probably will just drive down for the day. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't manage. I, I, I realized too late to get a table, but I have a lot of friends, you know, especially a lot of friends from the Midwest that I don't get to see as often as I used to mm-hmm. uh, will be there. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to at least make it down for the day since it's only, what, about a three-hour drive, two and a half hour? Yeah. I've never actually done it yet. Roughly three hours. I've driven there a few times, and, and yeah, depending on traffic on the day, you're, 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 you're in good if it's three hours, so. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I just, I take the train now because it's like, I don't have to drive, I don't have to worry about it, I know I'm going to get to my destination, and then I get to be in Portland, so it's all cool, it's all good there. That's awesome, and probably, you know, you can work, you can sleep, you can do whatever you need to on the train. No, it's great. Read. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've gotten through more books taking the train down to Portland than I have in the last year or so, just bussing into work, so uh, I'll consider that a win. Because I'm, I'm fascinated about, like, the, the East Coast uh, area, especially with, like, uh, the, you know, the comic book community, because it feels like with being in, in Columbus, or in, in Ohio at least, you have more access to more, like, I guess, conventions, more access to people who are, are involved in the comic book industry. If I mean, am I correct, or is that just another assumption? Well, that, it feels that, it certainly feels that way so far, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and things may change. On the other hand, you know, my flight down to, um, I flew into LA rather than San Diego proper, mm-hmm. but my flight, my round trip flight to, 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 uh, Southern California for SDCC this year was less than a hundred bucks. No. So, you know, it's, you know, you, you kind of juggle, you know, the access to the East Coast versus the access to the to the West Coast, and I think both have their their advantages when it comes to specifically the comic book industry, um, yeah. and not just the industry, but the people. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's 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 one of those things because as I I don't know, it's like sometimes I feel like I'm dabbling in two different worlds at times, and because I've written uh, a couple of stories, you know, one for an anthology, and I've written a few uh, short stories and everything, but. It's like every time I, tr- I think of, like, where do you want to go next? Like, you know, is it stay on the West Coast? Does it go somewhere else? You know, so I guess I'm just curious, like, how how you feel so far that's worked out for you. But, I mean, it might not be enough time for you to be able to say. Um, you know, it's, it's worked out well enough for me. Um, I've had the advantage of being able to uh, to travel and, you know, with, with working from home, with, with the, my arrangement, mm-hmm. like, I'm able to go back to the to the east coast and, and see people it's 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 kind of like it's not as spontaneous as it used to be mm-hmm. um you know it's great that that rose city's coming up but you know emerald city and rose city are kind of the two big cons that that i can get to easily from this part of the world whereas when i was in columbus i would go to you know all of the wizard shows which i have you know strong feelings about wizard shows that mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is a family show or not. So. Uh, you can say whatever. You, I don't. I don't edit things out or like bleep or anything like that. <laughs> you can go ahead and say what you want. But it, but in any, I mean, I mean they're. It, it, it's nice because they are. You know, there was one in Columbus. There was one in. You know, there's 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 one in in Chicago. There's there's several in you know medium sized cities like Lexington and Louisville, and those were all all shows that I had access to that were within, you know, three or four hours drive of, of where I was living, mm-hmm. um, or, a, or a cheap flight. Portland's three hours away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can imagine, like, even having all that access, I mean, then there's the exhaustion that might set in from having to do all that. I mean, there's, there's the hustle that has to happen from, you know, especially if you're a, a freelancer and getting started in the business, you have to put yourself out there to a degree where you're almost exhausting yourself half the time, so maybe the less access kind of helps you at least uh, stagger out the, the cons themselves. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's very <laughs> true. I mean, um, I will probably go down to Rose City for a day, and then I'll 
make the, the cross country, uh, trip to see, uh, for New York. Mm -hmm. Um, because my best friend in the world lives in, uh, lives about five blocks from the Javits Center in New York. Sweet. (laughs) I know, and I can crash on his couch and it's, it's, it's a fun time regardless. Yeah, no, you can. That's, that's my convention schedule for the rest of the year. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, and the year's year's coming to a close, so I think we're. I think I think that's pretty good, you know. Because you did you do Emerald City? Yes, I did. Yeah. So you'll do Emerald City. You'll do Rose City. You'll do New York. You know, I think that's a good. That's a strong closeout. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right, and I got to go down to San Diego for a couple of days. There, see, you've you've done exactly how much you need to. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Ah. Uh... Yes. Oh, uh, so I want to talk to you about the the other Kickstarter the that you're participating in, uh, mine. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit, or is it still kind of I, I don't know? Is it still in the process of being funded right now? Yeah, the Kickstarter is still running. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's being run uh, by Comic Mix, and it is uh, in support of uh, Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty incredible. You know, as incredible as the the roster of talent that I thought we had assembled for this Nightmare Kills Fascists mm-hmm. was, I mean, we've got uh, mine has Neil Gaiman, Gail Simone, mm. um, uh, uh, Gerard Way, yeah, me, yes, all kinds of great talent, and I'm, I'm actually doing a four page story with uh, Devaki Niyogi, who, uh, and if she's listening, sorry, I have only ever read your name on. On uh, Twitter, <laughs> she's a very talented artist who uh, most recently did Skeptics with Teeny Howard for mm. Black Mask, um, and, and I'm pretty excited about the, the little four page fantasy story that we've cooked up. Yeah, can you can you say anything, or do you want to keep that hush hush until everything's said and done? Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a fantasy story. Uh, I'm not entirely certain that it's. Uh, that I'm going to stick the landing on this one. Mm. Um, but I wanted to just kind of tell a story about, um, you know, what it means, what it has historically meant to be a woman in a, uh, in a male dominated societies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance of, of sort of making, carving your own path. And, and I wanted to kind of keep that obviously as a, as a, you know, a, a straight white dude, I have certain uh, privileges mm-hmm. and a certain lack of perspective. Um, so I just wanted to tell a, a, a gripping fantasy story with a strong female character. Um, I didn't want to, you know. I mean, there are there are other things that need to be addressed in that book, and it's really not my place to be the one to address them. Mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to telling a story alongside those creators. No, that sounds, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that you stick the landing. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. So it's like, you should be too. <laughs> it's, Thank it's, you. Yeah, no, it's always, I mean, this kind of dovetails into another question I want to ask you, which is, you know, what made you want to get into the comic book industry in the first place? Um, I've always wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of there was a period from about, 
sixth grade through my freshman year in college when I thought I wanted to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. Like and you the do. story that I always tell people is I thought that I wanted to build spaceships, but it turns out I just wanted to write stories about them. Hey. <laughs> so, um, but I kind of, I'm kind of an impatient writer. Mm. Uh, so the, the prospect of writing a novel, <laughs> um, and then subsequently rewriting a novel, uh, and then editing a novel, uh, terrified me. Okay. Uh, and then around my f- sophomore year in college, a friend of mine, I had been a comics fan all along, mm-hmm. but a friend of mine gave me a copy of the authority, mm-hmm. the first volume of the authority in trade paperback. And it had, um, Warren Ellis's first issue script printed in the back. Okay. And, uh, I thought to myself, Hey, this is, uh, this is absolutely something I can do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I can do it. I can do it quickly. Um, the the turnaround time in comics is relatively short, so I don't have to overthink things, which is, I think, probably where part of that uh, impatience comes from. Oh no, I, I can sympathize with that. I am uh, I overanalyze to a degree that's probably uh, stifling me right now. <laughs> so you know, here we are. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I've, I've loved every minute of it. It is an extremely difficult... No, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say it's an extremely difficult uh, medium to break into, but mm-hmm. it's really just a really tough industry to break into. It's really easy to make comics. Yeah. It's really hard to get paid to make comics. Yeah, that's what I've been... Yeah, because a lot of people I've talked to on this show, it's the the passion and the love of comics is, is all there. It's just the um, finding a way to get your stuff read. And um, n- not only read, but uh, widely kind of distributed so that other people will either pay for it or want to pay you to write other things uh, at, at this point. So, yeah, I can, I, can, I can sympathize with that one, too. Well, actually, one of your more recent guests, David Walker, just mm. posted on Facebook this morning, I saw, he posted a bit about, you know, he sold his first professional comics work in 2004, and then didn't do it again until 2012. Oh, yeah. No, I read that, and I was, I, I almost, like, had that feeling of, like, devastation, like, oh, my God, seriously? Like, oh, shit. Like, that just, I, I don't know, there's, there's, uh when people, you know, share those kinds of stories, it's just, you know, there's moments where your heart sinks. You're just like, why? You're so good. You're so talented. But, you know, I mean, you know, now, now he has been, you know, quote unquote discovered and the work he's been doing since 2012 has been stellar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I can only hope that for all of us. Yeah. No, it's, 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 especially if there are, you know, there are people out there who have stories to tell. And I think it's, you know, the, the internet is great for democratizing voices in a lot of ways, but it's getting, you know, some voices elevated enough that other people will pay attention to them, I think is now the the biggest challenge, because there's a, a glut of, is that the right word, glut of, uh, of, of talent out there? Yes. I think I'm yes. using the right word, yes, I think I am. Like I but said, there's... I gave blood, so. <laughs> it's totally fine, and it's, it's, there has been a uh, 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 this th- this explosion of non-conventional ways to get your voice out there, and also to sort of monetize um, monetize comics. Whether it's you know 
you know, the grind of conventions every weekend or, or doing a web comic and being able to figure out how to, you know, uh, to, to make money there or mm-hmm. Kickstarter or other, you know, crowdfunding. And so th- I think that the fact that there's this, this, this profusion of both ways to support yourself doing it or to at least, you know, break even, especially if you're an artist, um, and also to, you know, to get your work out there in front of an audience, even if it's, you know, a small, you know, Kickstarter audience, mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's, it, it's, even though there are a lot of comics coming out, when you think about it strictly in terms of, you know, what a person running a comic store um, has to think about mm-hmm. yeah. uh, going through the... Uh, the ordering sorry. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah order the, the, the previous cop, uh, catalog every um, every month. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, when I, I used to live in Bellingham, Washington, which is uh, much further north up near uh, Canada, and uh, a, a few friends of mine actually ran the um, kind of the local comic book store in town. Um, and so sometimes I would just kind of get the skinny from them on, you know, what was... Uh, the kind of the process of going through, like having to basically be psychic about how many to order or how few to order or what titles might be more popular than others, because the turnaround on that, it does not benefit the comic book store at all. It's entirely like just lost, lost money. If you don't order correctly, basically. Yes. I mean, it's the, the margins are small. Um, you know, readership is fickle. Mm-hmm. You see these, this, uh, it was actually a Columbus area store. Uh, you might have seen it. There was a, uh, a photograph that was making the rounds on social media of about six months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was sitting cross-legged next to a stack of comics as tall as he was mm-hmm. that were books that their subscribers hadn't picked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's... Uh, like, and that's another problem. I mean, so I understand, I completely understand a comic store being um, reluctant to take a chance on, on new material, material from untested talent or featuring unfamiliar characters, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, but I completely understand. And that's why I think it's really important that people start to realize that while you absolutely need to support comic stores, you know, comic store, and and and, and I think this is a this is a two way street. Like mm-hmm. people absolutely need to be prepared to support their local comic stores, uh, and uh, find other ways to to get their material. Whether it's you know Comicsology checkout. Or if you're a creator, rather. Sorry, mm-hmm. I am sort of losing my track. You think I gave blood? <laughs> <laughs> well, just say that we both gave blood. We're both right. loopy. We both gave blood. So what I was trying to get at mm-hmm. was the idea that uh, if you are a creator and you want to get your work in front of an audience, you completely have to understand why uh, comic stores are reluctant to take a chance, but at the same time you have to recognize that there are a lot of of other alternative uh, outlets for your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, cause I've, I've spoken to, uh, you know, Tanika Stotts and uh, Spike Trotman who have, have done a majority of their uh, work via Kickstarter. 
Um, and I mean, do you see Kickstarter as continuing to, to be that, um, vehicle for people to, you know, put, because I'm, this is a different thought then, uh, <laughs> because there's always the debate about single issues versus, you know, uh, trades and original graphic novels where one seems to be a more preferable, you know, uh, use of one's money than the other, um, and through Kickstarter, you can get that full story versus waiting week after week after week for the single issue that might lead to, you know, something else that will start up another story. I mean, do you have preference? Do you think Kickstarter is, is going to help with that? You know, it's a lot of things, so feel free to start wherever you, you like. No, no. It, when I did my Red Angel Dragnet Kickstarter, I started off with doing a Kickstarter for just the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I didn't have a huge name in the, uh, you know, even as far as my, my first Kickstarter didn't, you know, raise a super large amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to start small. Uh, but as I went through the expenses of making sure my artists got paid, or making sure the artists got paid, the letterer got paid, uh, printing costs and shipping costs were covered, it was much more, it made a lot more financial sense when I went back to do the rest of the story to just do everything as a collected edition rather than doing issues two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that cost in all likelihood follows through, you know, it, that, that follows through not just on Kickstarter, but also to mainstream comics mm-hmm. uh the the monthly issues can be for some especially for smaller press publishers can just be a loss leader for an eventual trade mm-hmm. but when you think about it you release a, a single issue it, it goes on the shelf and then by the following wednesday it's forgotten about because there's an entirely new um a new batch yeah new batch of books to think about you know the 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 news cycle for uh uh, a, a new issue, a single issue, is is relatively small, and then it fades into obscurity. But uh, a collected edition, the the tail of that comet can be so much longer mm-hmm. uh, because you can get it into you know bookstores, you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, you can uh, you know the websites rather. Yeah. Um, you, you know they're they're evergreen versus being something that's just you know, in and out of people's consciousness within a week. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm much more, because I know a lot of people who just wait for the trades to come out anyway. Um, so you're definitely waiting a bit longer, but you're also getting, um, for the most part, the intended arc of, of that particular, you know, comic book character. I mean, especially with the big two, um, that's, you know, practically what you have to do just to be able to keep up half the time, especially with them <laughs> releasing, like, what, what was it with DC, like, two of the same book like every every couple of weeks or something like it's some ridiculous thing uh where you get like nightwing for you know two different nightwings for uh you know d- you know on different weeks or something like that i don't know i've i've kind of fallen off the wagon with uh, with dc and marvel currently cuz it's just it's like i don't have the time to keep up with you guys right now um you know what i did that has has been a life changer for me mm. uh but it's a thing that i I, I hate to admit, because mm. again, it's it's me saying, like, I love my comic stores, and comic stores have supported me through a lot of my own work, but, uh, and what I did is I got a, I bought a subscription to um, Marvel's Unlimited app, mm-hmm. 
which is, you know, just runs on the Comixology engine, and just about everything in their entire catalog uh, is available. Uh, I'm able to, so I'm able to start reading, you know, the Chris Claremont X-Men run from the beginning, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, um, every, you know, it's about six months behind, but all of the new stuff is constantly available Mm -hmm. on on the unlimited app and it's it's substantially cheaper and it's not you know i mean i live in a tiny seattle apartment as i'm sure you are aware of you know housing costs out here oh so very much my, my my space is at a premium so it's it's nice to not have um uh you know an entire wall of, of long boxes yes no i yeah i i sympathize again on on that level with the housing in washington state it's it's a lovely state, but yeah, the the prices are kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I mean I, I take it then that because I know you've written some Marvel uh, like one shots or uh, backstories, uh, so I take it you're a Marvel guy. Yes, I, that's that's where I got my start. Was mm-hmm. I picked up a copy of Jim Lee's X Men from a Seven Eleven mm-hmm. when I was twelve years old and never looked back um i love dc too but like marvel's my first love and yes i was able to do a uh a, a 15 page guardians of the galaxy story mm-hmm. um and it actually got to feature kitty pride who was one of those gateway characters for me yeah no, i love kitty. Um, so so yeah i do have a lot of affection for uh for marvel's catalog especially mm-hmm I, yeah, I've I've always been a bit more of a DC person. I mean, I I, I love a lot of um, Marvel's movies and cartoons and everything. The comics always, I, I I was never one of those people who thought the comics were too big to traverse. Like I couldn't do the work and and read what I needed to. But for some reason, Marvel always kind of felt that way to me. Like if I wanted to start reading the X Men, it was like, okay, you're in for a thing. Like, do you want to do you want to put that time aside? <laughs> Like, do you have that time? And do you have the money? Right. <laughs> that is always the, uh, that's always the thing. I mean, and I just finished, I, I, I broke my own rule about Marvel Comics because I wanted to read Secret Empire. Mm. Because I have so many thoughts about Secret Empire, which are not necessary, some of which are a little controversial. Um, oh, but I, I wanted to read it uh, in real time. Um and I just finished it up. And aside from the controversy over content, mm-hmm. one of the things I found is that it, it feels a lot like, it felt like the spine of a much bigger story. And mm-hmm. I only bought the Secret Empire issues proper. I didn't buy any of the, the crossovers or tie-ins or World of Secret Empire or anything. And I absolutely got the sense that I was missing bits of the story because I wasn't buying all of that ancillary material. Yeah, that's, you know, like, I'm I'm all for crossover events if they're not done, like, one after the other, like, boom, 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 boom. And at, at least, you know, and DC's done it, you know, of, of course as well, but Marvel always just seems to be like, okay, we can only do events. Like, we're not going to let anybody have downtime where they just act like human beings or mutants or whatever the hell. Um, we're, it's just like one thing after the other, and then it's like you're lost in the tall grass because if you just want to pick up the, the story 
you know, proper of whatever this event is, you're still going to lose out because all these other tie-ins are, are bringing in, in, like, additional information for you. And unless you really want to get on Wikipedia and start looking that up, which I know people who do that, too. Yeah, absolutely. I know that that's, a, that's a, another option for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, you know... I, I totally understand where you're going with with the uh, with the events and, and Marvel's habit of of you know they um, they'll solicit the next event before the the current one's even over, spoiling the event that you're in the middle of, of spending a lot of money to read. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, apparently I know how this ends. This okay? <laughs> like, why even bother? So, no, I, yeah, it's. I mean, I can get like. Yeah, I think having the solicits out, you know, prior to anything, like, being, like, really ready to be spoiled is is such a weird, it's such a bass-ackwards kind of way of doing stuff. Like, uh, when, what was it, Comics Alliance used to still be up, and they would show the solicits and all the previews and everything. So it's like, well, now I know in two months this is going to happen, so that's cool, I guess. (laughs) Now I know what's happening in the Green Lantern Corps before it's even happened. I'm apparently psychic. (laughs) Right. Um, But no one knows what's happening in the Green Lantern Corps. It's the Green Lantern Corps, so it's it's its own thing. Right. Uh, Yeah. Um, Because I don't know if if DC has an equivalent of the Marvel app, um, because if they did, I would probably, like, get on board with all the the Fourth World stuff. Like, anything Jack Kirby did, I would basically devour in a weekend, probably. Like I, um, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show already know, but I have big Barda on my arm, so I'm very well versed in, in, in Kirby's world and the fourth world as well. So it's, what, what do you think of the, uh, of the, the new series, uh, Mr. Miracle, Mr. Miracle? I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I think with, with Tom King, he's a writer that I, I feel like I need to have the whole story before I can really judge it, you know? Because I, I see where he's going, but there was an article that came out where they were talking about, like, the premise of Mr. Miracle trying to cheat, you know, escape death is, I, I'm also not, like, too certain of how sound of a premise that is, you know? <laughs> so, um, I was happy to see Barda, uh, Orion, you I mean, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that plays out because it could go really, really well. And it totally, like, makes sense and everything. But from the first issue, I'm not quite sold yet. If that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I just actually finished reading Vision earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally could have seen myself picking up the first issue of Vision and being a little intrigued, but uh, not sold on it. And And honestly, I read all of... The first year of it took me an entire year of his Batman run mm-hmm. before I was on board with, or I guess six months. I forgot that it was biweekly. Yeah, but <laughs> it took me twelve issues of his his Batman run before I I really was on board with it. It took quite a while. Was it just getting over not having Scott Snyder write it, or just Tom King's writing in general? Um, it, a little bit his writing. Um, uh, it. it it didn't grab me initially mm-hmm. until I saw this big. The, I saw the the entire structure of the story he was telling mm-hmm. um, and, and why, and and I think that 
while I appreciate getting two books a month, <laughs> the, the writers, I sort of decompressed a little bit because yeah. they knew that they were going to be able to put books out more frequently. And, and I think that while it was nice to get the books more frequently, there was less story per, to be had per issue. Yeah. And, no, I can understand you know. that. No, I, I remember there was a picture that came out. I think it was from Tom King's run where it's uh, Bruce and Swamp Thing are having like tea in the right. in the room. Like I just I think that image alone was just enough to make me go like I'll probably pick this up at some point. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm all for characters who you wouldn't really expect to be in the same room together being in the same room together. And and Swamp Thing I think with pretty much everyone in the DC universe is just kind of entertaining to look at, if not read. Yeah, I can, I can buy that. And that's, that was such a weird, that was, that was a weird and unnatural pairing, but it was, you know, it's, it's kind of brilliant when you do that. And when you have that entire sandbox to play with, Mm -hmm. you know, why not? Yeah. There was a a friend of mine posted a, a meme on Facebook, you know, just actually before we started talking and it was a picture of Henry Cavill's uh, Superman and atop it, it says, like, in, you know, comment on any character that would beat Superman. And and I went, I was just like, Brainiac, Lex Luthor, Metallo, literally anyone who uses magic. Um, it's like, insurance lawyers, uh, proofreaders. Uh, so I was, like, getting into the, the weird answers where it's like, you know, Clark Kent probably has a, a spelling error every once in a while. So... But I, I like that you can just get, like, Zatanna out there, and she'll just be like, no, no, I got this, don't worry about it. <laughs> she just takes him down. <laughs> yeah. I, it, and and that's, one of the, that's one of the things I really enjoy, that the DC, in my experience, and obviously I do read a lot more Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, but I've always really enjoyed that DC seems a little bit more unafraid to do things like that. Like, I remember... Um, Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb's Hush arc, and obviously, if you're going to have Jim Lee draw the book, you're not going to say no mm-hmm. uh, when you ask to use particular characters. But the the number of of characters that cameoed or showed up for you know half a dozen pages in that arc yeah. was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not you know that's not even necessarily a commentary on the quality of the story, but I just love that there's that kind of like craziness to the DC universe that you never know who's going to show up. Oh, for sure. And I I think he's, you know, at that time, I think he drew my favorite version of Nightwing, um, who I think after Barda is one of my favorite characters. So uh, I I always appreciate a good uh, Dick Grayson uh, drawing. So so we are at at, at about the hour uh, point. So uh, before we kind of wrap this up, uh, uh, there's uh, This Nightmare Kills Fascist, uh, there's mine. Are there any other books you want to promote or anything you kind of have in the wings that you're excited to talk about? Um, you know, I didn't really mention, you know, I, I wrapped up No Angel this uh, earlier this summer, which was my Black Mask debut, and it was co-written by my sister, Adrienne, who um, everyone should watch The Orville mm-hmm. uh, beginning September 10th on Fox <laughs> uh, to see her. Um, oh, yay! But... Um, uh, you know, that will be out in collected edition early next year. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that we did together on that. And hopefully that and this nightmare kills fascists when it's all said and done. And the, if the book is, is out in everyone's hands, they'll both, they'll both reach stores at about the same time. 
So I just let everyone know to be on the lookout for that. Excellent. Um, and this is going to go out next Friday, so if, uh, if, if you have anything that might be coming out around then, you can go ahead and promote that too if you'd like. Or is, is that uh, kind of all covered? I think that's. I think everything's covered. You know, just uh, everyone should check out the uh, the mine Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited to to be a part of that, and I've got a couple more Kickstarters that will be um, launching in the fall. So maybe we can do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. I'm all for uh, boosting uh, anything that uh, comics oriented. Definitely, um, and I'll put links to uh, you know to the the Kickstarter and everything into the um, kind of the a summary of the of the episode. Um, so also if people wish would wish to contact you or you know follow you anywhere uh, where might they do so online? Uh, I am on Twitter at epolicky and I am on Instagram at thepolicky mm-hmm. and they can check out my website at ericpolicky.com. Yay. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, Eric, this was, this was a great conversation. I'm so glad that we did this. Yeah, I, like, again, I'm sorry that, uh, we were a, a week behind, nah, uh, but thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. No, thank you, and, uh, again, with the, the blood loss, I appreciate you humoring, uh, my weird, wonky little nope. thoughts. <laughs> I kind of lost the plot midway through my story about supporting <laughs> comic stores and, and versus finding, you know, other means of, of getting your story out there so i totally understand and i didn't give blood today look no no that's not the story we're telling remember you gave blood too and so did oh, i right right yeah right. i gave blood so like, don't give it away god ah oh, now we have to go back and record this thing all over again god way to go eric <laughs> i screwed it up, Damn it. it up again all right fine well i guess it's the end of the show do this all again right. <laughs> okay all right all right thank you so much eric and uh you know to everyone out there good night everybody all right thanks sam thank you Look how far I come. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. We get the job done. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. Immigrants, we get the job done. Look how far.